0: Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Thousands of motorcycle riders have traveled to Sturgis, South Dakota for the annual rally in the small northern Black Hills town. It attracts thousands of riders from all over the country. Some of the participants this year include Native women who are taking a message with them. From missing and murdered relatives to honoring Native veterans, Native women are taking their causes on the road. We'll talk with some of them right after the news.
1: This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. Governor Max A. Zuni of Isleta Pueblo and New Mexico has issued a call for action after the recent fire near the tribal community this last weekend. In a letter sent out to more than 16 surrounding communities, he said, quote, when the area was first planned, it was built for housing, retail, and office space. Now, however, it houses industrial facilities, which impacts all of our neighbors, including the Pueblo of Isleta, end quote. The tribal community is located near Albuquerque. Zuni says the Albuquerque-Bernalillo County Air Quality Program and the Isleta Fire Department issued health advisory Sunday warning residents to remain indoors through Monday morning to avoid the hazardous pollution. Zuni said the fire threatened the community's health during a heat wave, leaving residents to decide whether to use their evaporative air conditioners and expose their homes to hazardous pollutants or to suffer through the extreme temperatures. The Pueblo is calling on local governments to take action and collaborate with the Pueblo. The Pueblo is concerned about health impacts to people and the environment. The Alaska Federation of Natives is fishing for photos to share at its convention this October, and it's offering prizes for those which best reflect this year's theme, Our Ways of Life. The contest opened at the beginning of the month and Ben Mullot, AFN's Vice President of External Affairs, says there's already been quite a catch. Mallott says the contest will help to generate interest in the convention but also has another important purpose.
2: We plan to use the photos that we get throughout our convention materials. Look at our app, look at our convention guide. Hopefully we can use photos that show our ways of life throughout all of our materials.
1: Malat says the more photos, the better, so they can be used after the convention to help AFN continue to advocate for native causes.
2: AFN works in so many different arenas and so many different policy areas that sometimes having the right picture really brings it home.
1: AFN wants photographs that capture Alaska landscapes, hunting, fishing, families, elders, youth, regalia, and other daily activities or special events. So far, many of the photos capture children and elders taking part in subsistence activities. Malat says one of his personal favorites is a snapshot of a little boy posing alongside a freshly caught fish making a fish face. The first prize is two round Alaska airline tickets with $500 in cash for second place and $250 for third. The Alaska Travel Industry Association has created a new seat on its board, set aside for tribal representation. The head of the association, Jillian Simpson, said it's not only the right thing to do, but good for business.
3: I think people want to have an authentic experience when they travel someplace and Alaska is the only place in the world that has the living cultures of Alaska Native people.
1: Camille Ferguson, a Tlingit from Sitka, currently holds one of the ATIA's 24 board seats. She says it's important that tourism marketing is culturally authentic and a tribal representative would have the most expertise in that area.
2: Authenticity from imagery, content and video. It's so important to have somebody who is at that
1: table to help them. Ferguson worked for the American Indian Alaska Native Tourism Association based in New Mexico, where she saw how tribal representation helped the travel industry develop culturally sensitive practices. She says not all states collaborate with tribes, but should, not just for diversity's sake, but to improve the overall tourism experience. She says until recently, the cruise industry defined the portrayal of southeast Alaska, limiting its focus to Alaska natives to only Ketchikan, Russian history in Sitka, and glaciers in Juneau. Ferguson says Alaska's travel industry is finally coming around to recognizing the untapped potential of cultural tourism. The tribal seat on the ATIA board is open to members of a federally recognized tribe or an Alaska Native Corporation shareholder and should bring more involvement from tribal travel and tourism leaders. Board elections are in September. I'm Jill Freitas.
0: NATIONAL NATIVE NEWS IS PRODUCED BY KOWANAK BROADCAST CORPORATION, WITH FUNDING BY THE CORPORATION FOR PUBLIC BROADCASTING.
3: SUPPORT BY AARP. AARP CREATES AND CONNECTS PEOPLE TO UNIQUE
0: TOOLS AND PROGRAMS, HELPS CONSERVE PERSONAL RESOURCES, AND TACKLES ISSUES THAT MATTER MOST TO INDIVIDUALS, FAMILIES, AND COMMUNITIES. MORE AT AARP.ORG.
3: READY TO START, MANAGE, OR GROW YOUR SMALL BUSINESS?
0: The annual Sturgis Motorcycle Rally is heading into the final weekend of the 10-day event. It's the 83rd year for the giant gathering that celebrates motorcycles and motorcycle culture. A culture that is mostly men. The most recent survey from the Motorcycle Industry Council finds only about one in five riders are women. But riders say participation from women is growing, and many of them are riding for a cause. Some Native women at Sturgis this year are raising awareness of MMIW, others are raising money to fight breast cancer. Today we'll hear from some Native women who are enthusiastic about motorcycles and are passionate about making a difference. Please join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. Are you someone who likes the freedom of two wheels and the wind in your hair? Are you part of a motorcycle club that is helping others? The number to share your thoughts and perspectives is 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's meet our native motorcycle enthusiast now. Joining us from Bismarck, North Dakota, is Prairie Rose Seminole. She is a co-director of the We Ride for Her documentary film and an MMIR advocate. She is Arikara, Northern Cheyenne, and Dakota. Prairie, welcome to the show.
4: Nawa, way to go stay in Thank you for having me.
0: Great to have you, Prairie. Joining us from Rapid City, South Dakota is Sheila Farmer. She is a retired civil servant and a lifelong motorcycle enthusiast. She is Sikanju Lakota from the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. Sheila, welcome to the show as well.
2: Welcome, Dr. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us, Sheila. And uh, joining us now from Sturgis, South Dakota, is Kristaline Bauer. She is a receptionist at Indon Motorcycles in South Dakota. She is Cheyenne River Sioux. Kristaline, great to have you on the show also. Good morning. Good morning. And joining us is Shawnee Red Bear Keith. She is an Oglala Sioux Tribal Veteran Service Officer, a Red Spirit WRMC member, and a veteran. She is Oglala Lakota. Shawnee, thank you for joining us also.
3: Good morning. Thank you for having me.
0: I'd like to start with Prairie, and Prairie, this documentary film, We Ride for Her, it shares the story of the Medicine Wheel Riders and their commitment to missing and murdered Indigenous relatives. How did you first become involved with the group?
4: Yeah, so I was actually approached by the Red Sand Project, who is a producer of the film, and they do a lot of awareness around human trafficking. So they were approached to do a film around missing and murdered Indigenous relatives and had conversations with some of our allies and where my name was brought up. Um, it was a, a long conversation about how do we tell a story about trauma with also without being exploitive and without um, extracting, because when you watch a lot of films around missing and murdered Indigenous relatives, they're very, they're very traumatic and um, can often get violent and tell the stories of the violence of missing and murdered indigenous relatives and kind of leave you hopeless, right? So we wanted to do, and well, I really wanted to be a part of a film that um, told, told the story without exploiting on that trauma. So we have an impact plan when we, we release this film in, in the organizations that we partnered with. Um, as well as not exploit the trauma. Because, you know, we're going to talk about trauma. That's part of the, the, the story. But how do we do this in a way that, that isn't um, non-reciprocating, right? So we're honoring these families. We're honoring the organizations doing the work. And we found the Medicine River actually having dozens of conversations with survivors of violence of missing more indigenous relatives. They tell their story of loss. And out different questions that we would ask them, is, is confronting those barriers and challenges because there's a lot of barriers and challenges, especially when it comes to jurisdiction, which law enforcement agency works where and how, right? Because the, the biggest reality is that it's not illegal to be missing, um, but what we're finding is that there's no urgency when our relatives go missing. So navigating those, those challenges and barriers, uh, we found the medicinal riders, and different ones, actually, who had come to be a part of these families in a way that, that supported them during their own loss. Uh, and then we had a conversation with the medicine writers themselves. Uh, we got on a Zoom with half a dozen women at first, sometimes a dozen women uh, from all across the country and, and Hawaii, right, and talked about the issue on a local level, but how do we tell this story, especially in a short documentary. So that's kind of how we found them through the long mm-hmm. process. It's been about a two-year process.
0: Well, thanks, Prairie. And we actually have one of the medicine wheel riders who just called into the show now, Lorna Cooney, who is Oglala Lakota. She's in Rapid City. Hi, Lorna. Thanks for calling in.
5: Hi, I'm glad to be here. Yes, That's, I'm one of the um, co-founders of the medicine
0: wheel ride. Um, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no, no. I mean, yeah, you're one of the co-founders and uh, Prairie has been involved in this documentary. So uh Tell us a little bit more about Medicine Wheel Riders and, and, and some of the causes that you folks are passionate about and how it all plays into this new documentary that's going to come out.
5: Um, well, our writers, you know, we're a national organization. We're located all over the United States, you know, and we come from many nations. And, um, you know, we all have similar stories. You know, many of us. You know, many of our writers have experienced violence, have had, you know, members of their families, who, family members who were murdered or missing, and this was just kind of our way of taking action, you know. And then, you know, we were approached by the Red Sand Project to participate in this documentary, and we just finished a 1,600-mile ride across the U.S., you know, going into several Indigenous communities and, you know, trying to gather resources in each of those
0: communities. Sixteen hundred mile ride, and you were out west as you went through New Mexico, Arizona, and now you're back in South Dakota, and you're going to be heading out to Sturgis later this week. Is that right?
5: Well, we just finished our ride this past Sunday. We have a big annual ride that we do the first Sunday of the rally every year. You know, we bring in probably about two hundred riders and family members. You know, impacted family members come in, and you know, it's it's a fairly large event. You know, and we really try to honor. You know our families that come and join in on the ride.
0: Now was that Monday when the medicine wheel ride no, it occurred?
5: This, it was on August sixth.
0: It was on August sixth. Okay. Now do you have a do mm-hmm. you have a ride coming up as part of Sturgis, though, too?
5: That was the ride that was part of Sturgis. So we started out our initial ride in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona, on um, July twenty ninth. We left Phoenix, Arizona, and so that's when the official ride for The medicinal ride started and then we rode up through the different communities probably about almost a week long and then we had our official ride on August 6th at Sturgis.
0: Okay so it all kind of culminated then at Sturgis after the the 1600 miles and well Lorna tell us a little bit more about these communities that you ride through I mean do you stop do you do you visit with these folks do you do you make contacts and kind of get involved with these communities that you pass through?
5: Yes we do you know it's the whole reason for the, you know, the ride that we do, we, you know, meet with families, we invite families, we try to, you know, it's all about supporting the families. And if, you know, the family members want to, they can write their their loved one's name on a ribbon and we carry those ribbons with us. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a prayer ride that we do for these family members, you know, and just trying to support them the best that we can.
0: And how many medicine wheel riders are there? How many chapters? It's nationwide, Right.
5: Right. We don't have any chapters. You know, we probably have about 30 members, you know, across the United States, you know, from Hawaii, Texas, Nebraska, um, South Dakota, Wyoming, you know, Arizona, um, New New Mexico. We're just all over the place.
0: Lorna, thanks for calling in. It's great that you're able to share some of these insights. And this is Lorna Cooney, Oglala Lakota, who is a co-founder of the Medicine Wheel Riders. And I want to go back to Prairie Rose now. And, and Prairie Rose, your this new documentary, it's hopefully going to come out here early next year. And while working with Lorna and the other Medicine Wheel Riders, what did you admire most uh, about these women and what they do?
4: Oh, gosh, Sean, that's a really good question. The, the reality of violence affecting our communities, even my own, Um, you know, I have a I have an aunt whose murder never went investigated. I lost my nephew. I lost my brother in 2018 um, to violence. And these are things that, that kind of hold you up, right? Like you're, you're stuck in grief and, you know, wondering why and, and asking so many questions. We're still wrestling with the death of, of my own family members. And the beautiful thing that I found with these writers, with these women, uh, is, is the, the sisterhood that they've established and, and how they really move their grief into action and advocacy, and they welcome others. And not only do they welcome us, but they stand with us, they support us, they strengthen us through our own loss. These women—they're funny, they're full of joy and love, and, and la- uh, just laughing with them. When when we have the film available, you'll see like there's there's this Indigenous women laughter that's not only infectious, it's healing, right? And so all of us who are mourning, who are going through our own loss to get to a point in our lives where we can like fully live again and share memories of our of our loved ones and we're crying through that i'm a big cry sack like all the time when it's (laughs) when i talk about my relatives um but to honor them in these these ways to live live keep keep their memories alive um these women showed me how to do that in in a in a in a in a way that I hadn't done before, right? Like, we, I knew I wanted to tell the story. I know I couldn't tell my story yet because I wasn't there yet, right? But the last two days of this ride, um, when we were in Montana um, and then in Rapid City and down at Crazy Horse, the well, last, I guess, three days of the ride, um, I was able, like, I talked about my lineage. I talked about my brothers and my nephew, and I talked about my horses that I now have because of my late brother, and how their legacy lives on with the work that I continue to do. But I, I wasn't there yet at the beginning of this journey with this film. And these women have allowed me to create that space and that healing to, to have those conversations. And now I, you know, still a big cry sack, but I can laugh and I can love, and I can be pissed off at the relatives, you know, <laughs> who's gone on for leaving me with, with the, the relationships I have. Right. But at the same time, I'm still full of love and still full of joy and and it was All these right. women who took me into that. We're
0: going to have to take a short break. Uh, we'll be right back. After years of decline, the bacterial infection syphilis is making a troubling comeback, especially among native populations. Health experts are calling it an epidemic. We'll find out what's behind the trend and what can be done about it on the next Native America calling. Give kids their best shot at a healthy school year. Make sure their vaccinations are up to date. Contact your local Indian health care provider for more information. Visit insurekidsnow.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are you at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally? Are you heading there? Today we're talking with Native women who like to ride and who are steering their handlebars toward causes like missing and murdered relatives. Give us a call to give a shout out to Native women bikers at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have Lorna Cooney on the line, and she is a one of the founders of the Medicine Wheel Riders Club. And Lorna, listening to you, and also Prairie, who worked on the documentary, and this cause, this overarching cause of missing and murdered indigenous relatives. And I'm thinking there are so many ways as Native people that we can express ourselves and we can show solidarity for an issue. We can have marches, we can have celebrations, we can go on social media. But what is it about what you and the other medicine wheel riders do? What is it about getting on a motorcycle, maybe a big Harley that's kind of loud and bold and just roaring into a community? What is, what is so special about that way of, of sharing what you're feeling and, and expressing that message?
5: Um, I think it's just, you know, because being on a Harley, it's, it's, a, it's empowering. You know, it's very empowering, you know, as a woman, you know, to jump on that motorcycle you know, and it's even more empowering, you know, to take control of that and to just, you know, ride across the country. And I feel like it, it gets people's attention. It makes them, say, you know, makes them look and say, hey, you know, who are these women? You know, and especially riding through a motorcycle or riding on a motorcycle through, you know, the Black Hills, you know, and, and through such a large event like the Sturgis Rally, you know, to see all of these women, you know, lined up, indigenous women is is a very empowering scene you know, to, to
0: look at. And, and do so people, that's why, you know, do they, oh, do they ahead. kind of freak out? Do they ever look kind of scared? Like, Oh wow, here come a bunch of, you know, people on parleys, and they look kind of rough. And <laughs> do they ever kind of look, look a little frightened at all?
5: No, I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I feel like for me, like I am not, you know, I wasn't, before I started riding, I wasn't really familiar with like bar, biker culture, culture, or even, you know, biker, the biker lifestyle. And what I found is like, you know, most bikers are very giving and they're very loving, you know, and very accepting. And that's what I kind of feel like with this group of women, that's what they have shown me is their their acceptance, their love, you know, and just like what Prairie Roads had talked about that sisterhood, it's almost like it's like a bonding, you know, through something that we love, which is riding motorcycles. And then also, you know, adding in, you know, this other piece of how we can help our, our own communities.
0: Thanks, Lorna. Prairie Rose, you're aiming for a 2024 release for "We Ride for Her." Where can listeners learn more about the film?
4: Yeah, thanks for that. WeRideForHer.com is the website that we put up. Um, we put it uh, up now because we're doing community stakeholder viewings. That's what a big part of this tour was. Is um, you know that that impact plan I spoke about earlier is like we don't want to be extractive. We don't want to exploit trauma. And so the Red Sand Project has been incredibly generous at finding donors who, will, um, who have contributed to each of the organizations that we partnered with and to many of the families through the Will riders um, to have, have that funding available to families, whatever their needs are, um, no strings attached, right? So families experiencing violence who are traveling to court dates right, for their lost one um, or families who need help with search money families who also need their, their basic needs met. Cause sometimes, you know, we know, we know our mental health and everything kind of takes a break during that time. And so rent or food or, or transportation issues or for your mental health needs, right? Like use that money in a good way. Um, the, the medicinal riders um, are, are kind of the benefactors of, of much of that fundraising and throughout that tour, that was 1600 miles, um, uh, 2000 for me, just kidding. <laughs> um, but the, The reality is that each of those organizations got that funding, those families got the funding, and now there's more money um for the families because of the fundraising that they do. One hundred percent of their organization, you asked me about what I love about these women. Right now one hundred percent of their organization is volunteer run, which I think should change by the way, Lorna. You guys need an admin assistant at least. (laughs) Um, but their funding comes from these rides and these events and they don't they're not out there showboating, you know, and I don't know anybody who does who showboats like Hey, I'm out here for this search right now, right? Or hey, this family's in the loss. They'll help post missing posters, they'll help um, reach out to families who might need something, but but oftentimes it's it's these women out on their own, helping with search efforts, raising money and and moving moving that resource because we know we know there's a gap there and law enforcement and other agencies are kind of new to the scene and getting involved. But that's what I love too, is like through these conversations and awareness that not only they're doing but everybody on the front line is doing organizations and governments are starting to pay attention and policies are starting to happen you know we're starting to see change mm-hmm.
0: Well, Prairie Rose and and Lorna, thank you both for educating us about this new documentary film coming out. And of course, the medicine wheel riders and, and the causes that they support and they ride for. I want to go to our next guest now, Sheila Farmer. She is a lifelong motorcycle enthusiast. She also rides for causes. She is Sikanju Lakota from the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. Sheila, what first drew you to motorcycle riding?
2: Uh, I was pretty young. Uh, we rode dirt bikes just because we could share them on the reservation. And then um, later on, I met my husband, and he was riding a thousand Kawasaki. And I'll say the Kawasaki was cute. That was forty six years ago.
0: <laughs> so you no, met.
2: No, he was cute too. <laughs>
0: okay, so Sheila, you met your husband riding motorcycles. So it was was it love at first stoplight?
2: I really like the bike. (laughs) (laughs)
0: You like the bike. Oh, geez. No, I really love (laughs) it. Well, Sheila, you primarily ride with American Legion Post 125 out of Rosebud, South Dakota. And Post 125, it has an interesting history. When was it first formed?
2: It was formed in 1918. It's 104 years. Um, And it was formed... From a man named Chauncey Eaglehorn, he was a World War One veteran, and he was the first one they brought home from World War One that was killed in action. He was from Oak Creek, South Dakota. So it began then. So our Legion Post One Twenty Five is a hundred and four years that we've been riding, and then later on, um, at the beginning, they did um, visits to all of the grave places and that, but they, they would bury our, our, our servicemen and women. And they did it on horse and buggy, but we do it today as part of a, the Legion post. We ride the iron horse and we take care of our veterans that passed away And um, we honor them, and it is such a great honor for them and their families. So that's how they are post-125 American Legion. In fact, it's one of the oldest American legions that they have.
0: One of the oldest American legions in the whole country, and it's right there in Rosebud, South Dakota. And Sheila, you were part of a group of riders who escorted the remains of nine Rosebud children home from Carlisle Linden School. What do you remember most about that experience? Um,
2: there were 11 children that we escorted back. We have four more that they recently found at Will. But what happened is our youth group, our secondary youth group, had visited out there in Virginia and had gone there to Carlisle, and they had the vision to bring um, our children home. So... What happened was, is we went through and did the escort, the American Legion post 125, and we brought them to Iowa, Nebraska, and into South Dakota to their resting places. But all along the way, the thing that just really overwhelmed me was the generosity um, from the whole communities we went through. We had highway patrol Uh, We had the sheriff's departments, the local police departments that just handed us off to each um, town and how we traveled. And one of the things that um, we had the Santee, Winnebago, Punka, Yanktonian, all the tribes that were in that area that came out and helped us and supported us. And they stood along the roads. And then there were farmers and ranchers that were in full dress uniform that were standing along the road saluting. And one of the things that really touched me was there was clergy from different churches and they were meeting along the road, which helps a lot of us from the boarding school era have. I'm on a forgiving journey with that to today. so that was really something to see all the people that came out and supported our children that we brought home from Carlisle Indian school. Mm. So that
0: was. That is such a powerful story, Sheila. Thank you for sharing it. And about how often do you ride, Sheila, when do you start riding in the spring and and when will you kind of put the bike up for, for the winter?
2: Well, we, we start pretty early around April, May, and we go clear into September and October. And uh, Whenever there's a calling and they give us, that you know, that there is a veteran coming home and we need to do the escort to the final resting place, we go. Sometimes it's 38-degree weather, but we do it. And um, we have a wonderful crew. You know, our commander is... Um, So in tune to helping us get organized. Sometimes it's a last minute call. And Cheryl DeCorey is our commander. And then we have Cheryl Wollen, Soldier, Carol Gregg, Monique Subab, Mish Swalley, Connie Dillon. Uh, We are the women writers within the Post 125 Region writers. And so being able to be there sometimes at a very short notice, but we do it. and we do it for our veterans, we do it for their families. and it brings a sense of community to them. And as our people from Rosebud, you know it is, it, it's a challenge too, you know always because of the you know we're the, one of the poorest counties in the country. So it always becomes a challenge in how we do this and pull it together. But, you know, to us good. We seem to be able to pull it off and be able to get the flags for our veterans and the flags for our rides. And so, um, yeah, somehow it works out.
0: It works out. sure does. Sheila, what kind of bike do you ride?
2: Right now I have a... a shot And before that I had a gold wing. Um going on sixty five, so I gotta take care of my hips. So
5: <laughs>
2: I I'm very cautious and conscientious and careful. But yeah, early on, you know, it was, you know, riding a two two wheel bike and riding with my husband. So but yeah, I slowed down a bit. But what's really nice about the gold ring and um my screenshot is I can put a veteran behind me that's never had that experience or a veteran spouse to ride with us. So, um, you know, that was something that we incorporated in to give them rides or let them come with us when they want to. So it's, it's been really
0: great. Sheila, what can a person do to stay safe while riding motorcycles? Because I think that's one thing that, that concerns people is is the risk.
2: Um, you know, when we're in a group or a crowd or there's a lot of traffic, always helmets. We're, like I said, very conscientious and careful. And as women, you know, uh, I think we're always that way as we go through life. So we're always the reminders, get your helmet, you know, wear it. And, um, but, yeah. There's an open road where you can control your speed, and the weather's just right, and it's wonderful to just feel the wind and have that experience, you know, too, without a helmet. But no, it's safety, safety, safety. We got to take care of each other, remind each other.
0: Right. Helmets are good. Sheila, thank you for sharing your insights as well. I want to bring Kristaline into our conversation now. She's a receptionist at Indian Motorcycles in South Dakota. And Kristaline, what do you like most about the Native women biking community?
6: Um, Just that they're so loving, welcoming. Uh, We support one another. Um, The industry is growing. Working at the dealership, I see several bikes sold all day long um, and women. Getting out from behind the scenes, taking the controls and just visiting with them and getting to know them and, and telling them if they need a sister to ride with, I'm here for you. And that's what it's all about pretty much um, being that I, I live in Rapid City and pretty much anytime the roads dry, I'm riding to work and back home. So um, just to do, inspire each other and support each other.
0: Now, you commute every day from Rapid City up to Sturgis to the, to the motorcycle shop there. And you're also involved with different motorcycle organizations. Which ones primarily?
6: Um, I, I, I was one of the founding members of Stilettos on Steel, which is the international female riding group um, that basically mentors beginner riders and gets them used to long road trips and Uh, And networking that you can travel from state to state and um, not be alone, um, as you should always have someone have your six o'clock when you're riding. So I do a lot of mentoring with the stilettos on steel. I ride with the um, MIRG, which is the Indian motorcycle group out of Sturgis, um, which, again, you know, just getting out there and doing monthly rides and letting people know that the routes and we have beautiful destinations and helping people during the holidays and stuff like that. I ride with the Eagle Riders um, out of Rapid City, and you know their motto is "people helping people." Again, That's just um, getting people that you know doing habitat work or you know just people that need resources that we can help, and uh, we will do that. And I also ride with Sheila. Um, uh, post 125 because I do have a son that is a veteran um, that is overseas uh, quite a bit so um, I support our veterans uh, like no other so those are some of the groups that I ride with.
0: Sounds like you're busy Crystalline. uh in addition to to your job you're, you're riding for a lot of different causes with a lot of different organizations and, and all of our guests here are riding for a cause and, and have a lot to to contribute with regard to, to motorcycle culture from the perspective of Native women, and this is just a really, really transfixing conversation that we're having today on Native America Calling, chatting with our guests, learning more about what inspires them to ride for a cause. I encourage listeners, please give us a call. The number is 1 800 996 2848. If you'd like to give a shout out to one of our guests, or maybe you ride motorcycles yourself and you'd like to share some of your experiences, our producers are standing by. We are waiting for your call 1 800 996 2848. Did you know that bare space is best when it comes to your baby's sleep? That's right. When you keep their crib free from toys, pillows, blankets, and other loose objects, you can drastically reduce the risk of suffocation. All your little one needs is to be placed on their back atop a tightly fitted sheet to ensure a safer night's rest. More infant sleep safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. We're glad you chose to listen in today to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Can Native women who like to ride motorcycles make a difference for veterans or victims of domestic violence? We're talking about Native women on bikes today. If you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. One of our guests today, Kristaline Bauer, she is Cheyenne River Sioux, and she works at the Indian Motorcycle Shop there in Sturgis. And Kristaline, that's got to be pretty cool. You get paid to be around motorcycles and, and motorcycle culture all day long. What do you like most about your job? Oh, I love it all. I mean, I get to
6: see all the beautiful bikes come in. I get to see the people, meet the people sometimes get to um hear their stories of why they started writing and all different things i mean i don't consider it work they say when you're doing something that you love it's really not work so but the atmosphere here is just unbelievable and it truly is a family when they welcome you into when you write get a a work cycle and it's just amazing
0: now crystalline a good motorcycle they aren't cheap uh the gear can also be expensive what do you say to someone who wants to ride on a budget
6: um i just say uh, everybody can ride um uh, marketplace <laughs> <laughs> um and just make sure you're riding for not for the look but for the slide as my sons would say um and just get out there and enjoy and make sure that you're wearing the proper gear and um, reach out to your sisters that they'll help you out. You know, we all go up and down inside throughout the winter months and summer months. We, you know, in South Dakota, we go through all four seasons. So, um, but yeah, I would just say if they're on a budget, just reach out, you know, talk to your sisters if you're starting to ride and sometimes you just get stuff handed to you.
0: And about how long does it take for somebody, would you say to learn if somebody has never ridden a motorcycle before about, about how long does it take to get proficient and good on, good on the road and able to just go out there and just ride anywhere?
6: Each person is different. I would say, I always tell people to start out with the course, um, and get your endorsement. Um, and just, you know, they always ask me what ride is, should I choose, whether it be Harley, Honda, Indian, um, Every night I pit all all the we all play like a circus and we pit bikes away. So I've rode all of them, um, and it's just the, the fact of what are you comfortable on. Um, there's no specific ride, you know, that I would highly recommend over the other, just for the fact of just getting on a motorcycle um, type
0: thing. So maybe just try different bikes if you can, test ride them, kind of see what works best for you. It sounds like that's a a good strategy. I'm going to go ahead and bring uh, another guest in the conversation in just a minute. But before I do, I want to take a call. We have Jen, who's listening online in East Texas. Hi, Jen. Do you ride motorcycles?
7: (laughs) If I could, I would own one. (laughs) But I did have the pleasure, and by the way, I'm, I'm a Cherokee living in East Texas, and I am so happy to hear this program. I'm very excited about these women. I met a group of women and wrote a story about them whenever I did, contributing uh, journalism to the local paper. And these women uh, rode their bikes to raise money for girls who had been placed in a home once they were rescued from um, they're kidnappers, and I'm wondering, uh, I know that sometimes it takes a little while to get prepared to go back home and so on and so forth, and just being found, you need a place until you can get home. Um, can you tell me, like, where is some of the, you're raising funds as well? Can you tell me a little bit more about that angle? And thank you for doing this. It's wonderful.
0: You bet, Jen, and thanks for that call. So the question is regard to fundraising efforts. What are available? What's happening? And I'm going to go ahead and ask Sheila Farmer to respond to that. Sheila, what can you tell Jen about fundraising efforts for different causes?
2: Um, you know, with the American Legion Post, when we have, you know, our veterans, or there's a need out there that, you know, for our families, We reach out to the other resources. I think, um, um, you know, even even over to you know, the social services for them to connect up, um, fundraising that we do. If we don't have enough, sometimes we don't. But we do reach out, and we do reach out to, um, you know, the other women writers that we know. The Oloala Drifters, the the Who Drifters, other Legion posts, for any way we can reach out. And the American Legion is clear card. Somebody always knows somebody. Mm -hmm. And um, we pull that together for anybody who may need assistance. And to get them to domestic violence shelters, to um, help the families. So yeah, the cause is there, and um, our hearts are with them. As um, women writers, we we find the resources, and I think you know, Lorna, the Medicine Wheel writers. I think they're doing a wonderful job. I was able to meet them, and um, they would be another resource we would go to and ask for assistance and where to go. Yeah.
0: All right. Thanks, Shailen. One thing that's really coming across today is just how many different groups there are, Native groups that are, are riding motorcycles with causes, and how well-connected you folks are all and how much you respect each other in, in what you do. And with that, I'd like to bring Shawnee, Redbeer, Red Bear Keith, Shawnee Red Bear Keith into our conversation. She is an Oglala Sioux Tribal veteran Service Officer and a longtime motorcycle enthusiast. Shawnee, tell us a little bit more about the Native veteran biker community, about how large is it?
3: Um, I would say it's fairly large. I, good morning, everybody. It's, it's fairly large, as you've heard from the other ladies this morning. Um, you know, we all belong to different parts of the Native American riding groups that are out there. And as you can see, it, it stretches far and wide. Um, but I... I've always been an enthusiast, but I'm still a novice rider. I've only been riding on the, uh, I would say about three years now. I bought my first motorcycle in 2020. So, um, you know, a lot of the Native American riders that I have met, you know, are from, you know, far parts of the country and other countries such as Canada, um, you know, Central America, different things of that sort. So that's kind of my experience with the Native American riding community.
0: Shawnee, you bought your first bike three years ago in 2020. Was it in response to the pandemic?
3: Yes, it was. Um, You know, uh, my uncle, my late Uncle Jim, he had uh, built this, you know, huge motorcycle ride years back and being a part of, you know, him bringing me into working for his organization at the time, I started to express an interest into it. Um, And it wasn't until the pandemic that I was able to, one, work enough to afford my first motorcycle, but also have the time to teach myself to ride a motorcycle just because there was hardly any traffic on the road. Um, And safety concerns were always, you know, a factor for me. And so, When I had bought my first motorcycle, it was a little 2015 Harley Sport. um, Yeah, 750 Harley Sport. And that's kind of when how and when I learned to ride was because of the pandemic. I was able to be alone. I was able to practice social distancing. And that's how that all happened.
0: Well, and it makes sense to to start with a smaller bike, right? Like the Sportster you described as opposed to like a, a big touring bike, one of the larger bikes. A little easier to start with something small, isn't it?
3: Yes, it was a lot. It was a lot easier for me. I was able to maneuver. Um, you know, learning how to ride a motorcycle for me was, it, it wasn't simple, but it was simple. Um, you know, a buddy of mine put me on the motorcycle after he had started it up. He said, you know, go one down into first year and then just keep going up until you can't go up anymore. And I think I rode my, the first time I ever rode my motorcycle, I was in third year for about 40 miles, going about 35 (laughs) miles an hour on this one road, because I couldn't stop myself. (laughs) That was my experience with learning how to ride a motorcycle in 2020.
0: Well, that's another interesting thing, because motorcycles, they still have clutches, you still have to shift, and now with so many cars, I mean, stick shift cars are almost a thing, like, they're almost like antiques now. Like, so many people don't even know how to drive them anymore, but to ride a bike, you got to understand gears, you need to know how to work that clutch, there's... There's a lot more working parts to to riding a bike, right?
3: Yes, there is. I had to I had to learn. Like I said, I taught myself along with a couple of you know friends teaching me how to ride, and it was difficult at first. I, I think I watched uh, over at least a hundred hours of YouTube just trying to get it just right. So I didn't want hurt myself and two hurt other people on the road. Um, I spent a great deal of time on the back of this Pine Ridge and. Uh, you know the reservation here, just going back and forth, and it got to a point where I was comfortable enough to go. You know further distances. I remember when I first started riding, I was afraid to go to the store and back. Um, you know, and that's a mile away from my house, and now I'm able to go longer distances. So that's you know how far I've come um, in the in the three years that I've been riding.
0: Well, good old YouTube. You can learn just about anything there, how to cook, how to build a house, how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> Shawnee, now, there's also a, a big veterans ride there in Sturgis, I think. Uh, what can you tell us about that?
3: Yes. So the this will be our third annual um, Native American veterans ride. Um, you know, I was approached by the national president of Red Rum, a motorcycle club back in 2021 at the beginning um and he had asked me what my thoughts on hosting or coordinating sponsoring a motorcycle would look like and so you know knowing that i was only a year into riding, i had expressed that i would love to you know be a participant if not a sponsor or a co-coordinator so we had partnered up and this was before i had become a member of red spirit on how to that would look for Native American veterans, and the the idea and concept behind doing a Native American ride the last Friday of the rally was because August 14th is the National uh, Navajo Code Talkers Day that um, you know that is recognized, and you know Code Talkers, um, the Navajo Code Talkers Day, as you know, were utilized in World War II, and so it's it's not well known, but you know, different tribes within the Ocheki Shapo'e have co-talkers as well. And so being that, that was kind of the concept we built on that um, together. And we were able to create this, you know, all-inclusive Native American veterans ride to bring awareness to Native American veterans. And a lot of the time, our history um, can be diluted and or lost. And so with that, we were able to, you know, educate other riders and other people in the communities that Native American veterans are the highest serving per capita for any race in the United States military, and that's historically proven. And so we wanted to bring light to that homelessness for the veteran community, predominantly the Native American veteran community, and then the lack of resources and or the abundance of resources that we have. I mean, a lot of the times, you know, rides and different causes tends to sometimes only focus on the lack of things, but sometimes there can be an abundance of resources. So we wanted to really highlight like where we could that's how we were able to create that concept and you know, implement that right into the Sturgis Valley culture, especially because, you know, we live in a heavily populated area of Native Americans in the state of South Dakota, especially on the West River side. So we want it to be inclusive to all of those Native American veterans and honor the past and present veterans that currently, you know, or have served in the past.
0: Mm. So this is all coming up on on Monday, then August 14th, the Veterans Ride and these other events.
3: And uh, the Veterans Ride is actually the last Friday of the rally, so it's actually tomorrow. And Indian Motorcycle and in Sturgis has been. You know, one of the bigger sponsors. You know, we we do the registration there. We do the meet and greets. We do the prayer at the beginning of the ride, and that's where kickstands are up. So tomorrow morning um, will be the 11th, and the 14th is the day of recognition. And that the year that we have started, it was you know kind of it fell you know close to that date. So that's what we're recognizing, but. Um, tomorrow the 11th is in Sturgis at Indian Motorcycle is when the ride is. And that okay.
6: is open to
0: everybody. Yes. All right. Thanks, Shawnee, for that clarification. And I also just want to ask you about Sturgis because you you hear so much about, you know, hundreds of thousands of people descend on the Black Hills to check it out from all all over the world, in fact. And does it live up to the hype when you're there? Is it as exciting as it looks like on TV?
3: You know, growing up... Near Sturgis uh, as a veteran, I go to the VA hospital up in Sturgis often. So, you know, seeing Sturgis when it's not overly populated with bikers and other people, it's just a normal, you know, small town that you wouldn't even really have a second thought about driving past on the interstate. But during the actual rally and the culture of it all, I, the first time I had one um, as an adult woman, I was already a veteran at that point. And I wasn't a motorcyclist, but I had went with friends who did ride. You know, I was, honestly, I was in awe. And I was, you know, it it was exciting for me to see because, you know, coming from, you know, traveling abroad and then, you know, being in other states and larger cities and then to come here back home and then go to Sturgis, it was definitely different to see Sturgis, a small town, turn into this melting pot of different, um, backgrounds of bikers and to see the, the culture that it's expanded to, um, you know, it was, it was interesting, the diversity. And I was really excited to see. So in my opinion, yes, it does live up to its height.
0: <laughs> well, Shawnee, I want to thank you for, for contributing to today's conversation. And also Shawnee, thank you for your service. Very much appreciated. And we are going to have to wrap up our show now, but let me thank all of our guests today, Prairie Rose Seminole, Sheila Farmer, Kristaline Bauer, Shawnee Red Bear Keith, and Lorna Cooney, who also joined us for perspectives on motorcycles and Native women who ride them. We are back tomorrow on Native America Calling for a serious look at the troubling rise of a sexually transmitted disease among Native people. We hope to hear from you then. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help.
3: SBA wants to see you win. They want to see you grow. They have been so helpful and so resourceful. Thanks to the SBA, my business is thriving today. Make sure you get in touch with SBA and you will definitely be on your way to a winning path.
0: For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis.
5: I'm Michael and I used to smoke. I never used to think about breathing. Then my left lung collapsed and I was diagnosed with COPD. Now I think about breathing all the time. I'm on an oxygen machine so I can breathe. I take medicine so I can breathe. My tip is enjoy the breaths you don't have to think about. You don't know how long you'll have them.
0: Smoking can cause COPD. You can quit. For free help, visit CDC.gov quitnow quit now. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention.